0: Good morning, church. It's so great to see you this morning. What a wonderful day it is that we could celebrate uh, baptism with Chris, but also now that we get to open up the Bible and look and see what God has to say to each of us. Uh, So today, we are finishing our spring sermon series Uh, Through the book of Colossians. I guess I'm proud that we actually finished in what is technically still spring, so that's good. Um, So, Colossians chapter 4, we're gonna be in verses 7 through 18 today, wrapping up this uh, great letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in the ancient city of Colossae 2,000 years ago. Uh, So, I'm excited to dig into that with you, but first, I want us to pray and ask the Lord to bless his word. And also, as tomorrow is Memorial Day, I want us to pray for those. Of course, who are uh, grieving and remembering those who have given the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom here and we want to remember that in our prayer today as well. so would you would you pray with me, Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for salvation. we're thankful that we get to celebrate today uh, with Chris in this wonderful baptism and uh, Lord, we thank you for all the things that you're doing in his life, Lord we pray that he would continue to be discipled here at Kernan Lord, has, help us as a church family to Uh, to love him and help him, Lord, as he grows in his faith. God, we thank you so much for uh, your word. We thank you that we get to open the Bible today and learn. Lord, we especially remember those, God, who are grieving and remembering those who have fallen, Lord, uh, to give us the freedom to be able to worship today, Lord. So as we uh, come upon Memorial Day tomorrow, Lord, let us remember those, God. We thank you so much for them. Lord, we thank you for ultimately your sacrifice, Jesus, that you laid down your life so that we could have freedom in Christ, so that we could have freedom spiritually forever. So thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you that we get to finish this letter today. I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit in every way. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Is Christ enough? That is the question that Paul has repeatedly answered with an emphatic yes over and over as we've looked through this letter. We're asking, and essentially that's what Paul's asking, is Christ really enough for you? Is he enough in your daily practical life to sustain you? Is he enough for you to lean on? Is he enough to be your solid rock and your foundation foundation? through all the ups and downs that you experience in life is Christ enough really for you or do you need something else right do you do you need to go searching for some kind of other philosophical way to live your life do you need some other meaning and purpose in your life? Do you need something to give you the happiness that you think you are entitled to in this world? What is it that you think you need? And can you answer that question by asking, is Christ enough, with a yes, right? That's what we're, we've been looking at for all these weeks. And, and here's how Paul, I wanna just kind of recap briefly what Paul, how he has specifically answered this question, is Christ enough? Well, yes, Paul has told us this. Christ is our Redeemer. He is the exclusive cosmic Lord. He empowers us for His mission. He is the source of all truth. He raises us from death to life. His record is ours. He is our past, present, and future. He gives us a new identity. He gives us the design for marriage. He is the example for kids and parents. His work motivates our work. He opens doors for us to share the gospel. Can you see it? This short little letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. Is Christ enough? I mean, yeah. How could he not be? Right? Look at all that he's given us. And lastly, today, as Paul's letter comes to a close, and as he delivers his final greetings to everyone who will read this letter, it's interesting how he closes the letter. He, we, we see him mention 11 different people by name. 11 different people by name. So if this was a Facebook post, he's tagging all his friends, right? That's what he's doing. So why does Paul take the time to address these people specifically? It's an interesting thing to do in the ancient world when you're writing a letter that's going to be copied and read around different churches and different cities. Well, the very mentioning of these 11 people signifies the importance of all of them pursuing Christ together. That's what it signifies, right? It it emphasizes the importance of Christian community. Paul wants us to see here that, that we're all in this together, and we truly need each other. God built humanity to crave community. God wired us in a way that we are most happy when we are enjoying our lives with others. That is a God thing. He gave you that longing and that desire. So everything Paul has said in this letter, all the different ways that Christ is enough for us, all those ways are best understood and demonstrated in the context of community, of Christian friendships, specifically in the body of Christ, what we call a local church, such as the one you're sitting in right now. Colossians chapter 4. I want us to read verses 7 through 18 just at once in its entirety to really just see how Paul lays this out as he is addressing this church for the final time and he, he gives all these names and, and talks about these people. So, so would you read with me? Let's, let's start. I'm going to start in verse 7. I'm going to read down to verse 18 and just follow along on the screens or you can look in your Bible there in your seat. But here's what he says. He says, and these are great names by the way, Tychicus, right? Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Man, Mark just got such a lame name, right? Just Mark, right? Just kidding, kidding, Mark. Um, (laughs) It's a great name. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, so Jesus, Justice, Jesus was a common name in that time, so he went by Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nipha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul writes this letter from a prison cell. We're pretty sure he was in the city of Rome, in prison, of course, when he writes this letter. And if You know, it's tempting for us to read all these names and like, okay, you know, like when you're coming to your Bible reading plan, you come to Colossians chapter four right here and you're like, well, I'm just going to skip this, right? Like, I don't, I don't need to read all these names and I don't need to know about all these random people from 2000 years ago. Like, what does this have to do with my daily life? Well, I think it would be a shame for us to gloss over this, just read over this and not pay attention to what is actually important in the fact that Paul is mentioning all these people, and they are all in this together. You see, here at Kernan, we believe that it's vitally important that Christians walk together with Jesus. And what I mean is, we believe it's important that we all walk with Christ, right? So the Bible often uses the word walk as a way to, your, to describe your relationship with Jesus, right? So you're walking with the Lord, right? You're growing in your faith. You're becoming more like Christ over time. But what the Bible also teaches us is that you don't walk alone. You walk together. You walk with other believers in Christ so that you can help one another grow in the faith. And so what I believe we can see here in Colossians 4 is really three things about Christians walking or living in community together in that kind of friendship, those kinds of relationships where you can truly love one another and serve one another in the church. So here's, here's what I want us to see today. Number one, Christians walking in community are diverse yet unified. Diverse yet unified. Now, I think one of the coolest things is when you go to some kind of sporting event, we'll say a Jaguars game, right? And you're there in the stands and Trevor Lawrence just throws an amazing long 50 yard touchdown pass to Christian Kirk, right? I'm just trying to speak this into existence, right? And so I'm just kidding. Uh, And and it's just amazing, right? And, And everybody in the stands all around you, what's everybody doing, right? When they score that touchdown, you're jumping up out of your seat and you're high-fiving everybody around you and you have no idea who they are, right? Like you don't know their names, you don't know anything about them. It's right, I mean, but you're doing it. Like I do that, maybe y'all don't, but I do, right? I'm high-fiving everybody around me. I'm like, I don't even know who you are, but right now you're my best friend, you know? And, it's, and that's just how it is, right? It, and, and this is really, really a social phenomenon if you think about it, because, because in that moment, In that that moment of celebration, you aren't worried if the other fans around you voted for a a different political candidate than you, right? In that moment, you're not worried if they even share the same beliefs as you. In that moment, you're not worried if they live on the same side of town as you. You're just giving them a five because you know, right, you're giving them a high five because you know in that moment that you're united over this one singular purpose. I believe one reason that we are so drawn to sporting events and other big events like that is because in some way they temporarily and incompletely satisfy a desire in us that we all have in common. In that moment, we love that feeling because it signifies that we want to be a part of something, a purpose, a greater purpose, bigger than ourselves, with others who welcome us and love us. That is the longing of every single human being. You may find that somewhat satisfied in your workplace. You may find that somewhat satisfied with a group of uh, with similar interests that you're a part of, or anything like that. But we all have this desire to be a part of something that's a greater purpose than ourselves, with people who welcome us, with people who love us. And so, something like a sporting event is just a fleeting moment where we get a taste of that. But get this: if you are a Christian and you belong to a local body of Christ, a local church, guess what? you can have the real experience of that longing and the true fulfillment of it. You really can, right? So what I mean is we need to see more high fives in here when the worship team really nails the song. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to see you guys like, yeah, come on. Because here's the thing. Only only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring together so many different kinds of people from different walks of life in the same room at the same time for the same greater purpose. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that really and fully. Look at this passage closer. Look at the different kinds of people that Paul is listing and their situations in life. Tychicus was a minister. Right? So he was working with Paul in the ministry. Onesimus was a bondservant. We're going to talk more about him uh, next week. I don't want to spoil that too much. But Onesimus, all right, he was a bondservant. Aristarchus was a prisoner. Luke was a physician. I mean, this sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, right? A physician, a prisoner, and a bondservant walking to the same, right? It's like, that's what the, I mean, where is this, right? It's like a bunch of random people, right? At Disney World just got together and took a picture together, right? It's like, who are these people, right? A physician, a minister, a prisoner, right? Nipha was a woman who hosted the church in her house. Onesimus and Epaphras were from Colossae, while others were from different places, different backgrounds. Some of them were Jews, some were Gentiles. They're from different ethnic backgrounds, yet they still all unified around one singular purpose, the glory of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It really is. Do you know there is nothing, there's nothing else in the ancient world that could have done this. There's nothing truly in the modern world that could do this. But Understand how crazy this is for these times 2,000 years ago. People were very committed to their clans, their tribes, their people. And so for the church of Jesus Christ to all of a sudden break into the Roman Empire, where there was high forms of racism and, and exclusivity and all the improper ways, people were marginalized because they were too poor or too rich or whatever. The church of Jesus Christ walks right up in the face of the Roman Empire and says, no, all people are welcome and we will all worship Jesus Christ together. Do you see how radical it was? No wonder Paul's in prison. No wonder they thought he was challenging the empire in some way because this was a radical idea of the time, yet I argue it's a radical idea today. Only Jesus can bring all of us together in this room right now. Colossians 3 verse 11, Paul's already said it in the letter previously, he said what? Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Our prayer, our prayer should be that the same, the same thing would always be true of us here at Kernan Church. This church and every church should be a place where all kinds of people can come and give their lives to Jesus Christ and seek him in community with others. The church should be a taste of what heaven will be like with the nations gathered around the throne of God worshiping our King Jesus. It's radically We are radically different in appearance and background, yet radically the same in love and adoration of our Savior. The church is diverse, yet unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus is what binds us together forever, no matter where you came from or who you are. Christians walking in community are diverse, yet we are unified. Number two, Here's what we see in the ending of this letter. Christians walking in community are individually responsible, yet team-oriented. Now, when I was preparing my sermon, the first thing that came to my mind when I thought of being individually responsible, yet team-oriented, is the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, right? I mean, just think about it. (laughs) It's... It's amazing, really. Like you go you sit in the drive-through, there's 30 cars in front of you and you're thinking this is going to take an hour. And then somehow you are in and out with your food in 5 minutes. It's amazing, right? Because they have a small army out there and everybody's doing a different job. Someone is taking your order, someone's the next person asking you what sauces you would like, the next person is asking you or confirming that your order is correct. There's a guy that's checking the air in your tires while you're waiting to get your food. I mean, it's just incredible. <laughs> so here's what we see. Think of all the ways each of these unique persons that Paul mentions here, all the unique ways that each of them were individually responsible for the mission that God gave them, for the purpose and the gifts that they were to steward. Some were ministers working alongside Paul. Some were just faithful friends who encouraged him. God gave each of them individual responsibilities, individual gifts, and purposes and resources to love, to share, to serve. Luke was a physician, Tychicus and Onesimus were willing to be mail carriers, right? I mean, they were mail- they were going to take this letter that Paul wrote and travel a thousand, thousands of miles to get to where it should go, right? Nepha was willing to host the church in her house. She opened up her doors so that the church could meet in her home because they didn't have church buildings 2,000 years ago like this. So each person had an individual part to play, a sense of ownership in the matter, and responsibility in the greater mission and purpose of the church, yet... The pressure of the church's mission, it didn't just fall on one person. They all needed each other. They all needed truly each other. You see, it's not about one person. It's not about you. It's not about me. Church, and specifically the mission of God, it's just not about us. It is about one person, but he's he's not you and he's not me. It's Jesus Christ. Christ is working in all of our lives, individually, yet to shape us and to shape human history for his glory, to move us toward eternity. And one way this is best demonstrated is in the way we understand our roles as members of a local church, as being a part of the same local church. Paul talks of this elsewhere in pretty cool metaphor he uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe this is familiar to you, maybe not. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, listen to what Paul says. He says, For just as the body, the physical body, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, the body, the physical body, you have all your different body parts, but the the body of Christ, the church, that metaphor that Paul uses has all of us, all the different members, right? So for in one spirit, he says, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, right? doesn't matter who you are. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then look at what he says down in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, every single part of the body, your physical body is important, right? You may stub your toe and think, oh, well, only the toe is going to worry about it. But no, right? You're, you're all, all of your body is, is in a panic, right? But that's kind of how it is in the church. You may think, well, I don't matter, I'm not a big... No, listen, every single one of us matters to each other. Whether we realize it or not, that is true because we are united by the blood of Christ. We are brothers and sisters truly in the family of God. So we each have individual responsibilities and roles and things to do in the way God has gifted us, yet it's a team-oriented mindset. All the parts are coming together together. To work as one for the glory of one. Here at Kernan, we have a core value that says we believe membership is essential to one's commitment to the church. What we mean by that is you know, if you really love Jesus, you're gonna love his family. If you really love Jesus, you're gonna love his bride. If you really love Jesus, you're going to love his body. You're going to love his house. You're going to love his people. And so making that commitment to his people is a covenant that you're making with God and with them to say, you know what, I might not even really like all of you, but I'm going to love all of you. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm not saying that I don't like all of you. I love all of you. I'm just saying. (laughs) I mean, hey, listen, I was at a family event yesterday up in South Georgia where I'm from. And and let me tell you, I love all of my family, right? And I don't think they're watching right now. Maybe we need to edit this out, okay? Do some of them get on my nerves sometimes? Yes, right? I mean, we know that's true, right? I mean, who? we're all, you know somebody in your family, right? It's like, okay, that's enough, right? So here's the thing. In the church, I don't really care if there's somebody here that you think, I don't wanna, listen, get over it. (laughs) Love. Love them, serve them, commit to them. Commit to each other. It's a serious thing, it really is. And it's important that we love one another in the body of Christ, in the church, just as Christ has loved us. That's all we're doing, we're mirroring his love, right? We're so grateful for the way that we were undeserving of love. We're so grateful that God loved us in that way that we're willing to love each other the same way. We do believe here that church membership, it's essential if you're really committing to Jesus and his body. So the key here that Paul is getting at is to be the individual God called you to be and own that responsibility, yes. But do that with a team-oriented mindset. God doesn't need any long-ranger, narcissist Christians who've gone rogue. God wants each of us to express our individual callings to serve him together in the context of community in the church that is your calling as a christian that is your calling as a christian if you are a follower of jesus it is to love the church it is to be a part of it not for the glory of the church for the glory of christ because we are many members yet part of the same body This gospel phenomenon, you know, it it goes beyond Sundays, though. It goes beyond just this worship service, and that's really the beauty of it. The third and final thing we see here is that Christians walking in community are also servants, yet family. Servants, yet family. See, these Christians saw themselves as servants to one another. But... Not out of a sense of obligation or guilt. Not out of a sense of religious duty. It was out of sincere love. It was out of sincere love for one another as the family of God. You see, you can can be unified with other Christians and even see yourself as a team player in the church. Like, check, got that, check. But if your motivation... If your motivation is not love for Christ that translates into love for one another, then the way we serve can become burdensome. It can really burn us out if we have impure motivations, even in us being here at church. It's gonna feel like a drudgery, it's gonna feel like a task to even just get up and come to church and be a part of this church because if the motivation is not ultimately your adoration for Jesus Christ, your affection for your Savior, if that's not what is driving you to be here, well then of course everything else is going to feel burdensome. I think it's helpful to look back at some of these descriptions of these Christians, and just see how, how they were serving each other, but had this family love. It really did. It was a family love for one another that went beyond Sunday. It was every day of the week. As we read through these, I want us to read through some of these verses again. And as we do, I want you to think, are these characteristics true of my involvement here in this church family? Are these characteristics true for me? All right, I'm going to go through these a little quickly, so, so bear with me. You can just follow along on the screen. <clears throat> First, notice how they were involved and engaged in each other's lives, right? They actually spent time together. Look at this, Colossians 4, verses 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. See, this isn't just like, hey, how's it going? We've missed you. What's going on in your life? It's not that. It's so much deeper than that. Paul And these Christians in Colossae genuinely loved each other. They genuinely saw each other as family. And they were deeply concerned about what was going on in each other's lives. This shows that they cared about each other's well-being. They wanted their involvement with one another to go beyond Sunday morning. In verse 8, Paul says that Tychicus will encourage their hearts. In verse 11, Paul says these friends have been a comfort to him. It's this kind of encouragement. It's this kind of comforting one another that can only happen in the context of friendships, right? It's hard to encourage and comfort someone that you're not really friends with. So when someone is actually going through a situation in their life, if you've already built that bridge of friendship with them here at this church, then guess what? You have that opportunity to love them you have the opportunity to comfort and encourage them in the moment of crisis because you're already their friend so how are you actively getting to know others in the church in a context outside of sunday morning i mean that's a great question for all of us how are we spending time together outside of sunday morning next notice this how notice how they how they prayed for one another, and they were deeply devoted to each other's spiritual growth and discipleship. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, so he was from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling, struggling on your behalf in his prayers. How many people are you struggling for on their behalf in this church in your prayers? How many people are we coming before God and saying, Lord, I love so-and-so or I love so-and-so. Would you bless them? Would you help them? They're going through a tough situation right now. Would you give them the strength and the wisdom to know how to handle it? Would you help me to be an encouragement to them? Would you help our church family to be an encouragement to them? How many people in this church are you lifting up to God by name throughout the week? That is exactly what Paul's saying here. Epaphras was struggling on others' behalf in his prayers. What? Why? He says that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. There was this desire amongst the church family to see each other grow. Like we want each other to succeed. We're not trying to outdo one another and say, well, I'm a more of a super Christian and so and so. No, it's we all want each other to grow. We all want to look to Christ and him alone, and that's the direction we're heading. Epaphras genuinely wanted to see his brothers and sisters in Christ flourish and grow in their faith. So let me ask, how are you helping others in this church grow in their faith? Are you involved in a community group on Sunday mornings at 9.15? Because that's the space. That's the context that we've we've organized here at the church for that to really thrive. It can happen outside of that, absolutely. But that's the space where you can at least start making those connections and then spend time with each other outside of Sundays so that these bridges are built, so that we have these connection points, so that friendships can take root, so that in the moment of crisis, when someone needs you, when you need someone, we are already there. That's the kind of love that Epaphras loved his church with. It's really beautiful. Next, notice how they worked hard for the benefit of others. To serve the interest of others. Verse 13, Paul says, For I bear, I bear him witness, Epaphras, he's speaking still of Epaphras, right? That he has worked hard for you. He's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. In other words, Epaphras was serving the body of Christ. He was serving in the church for the benefit of others, for the betterment of others. Another one of our core values here at Kernan is we serve the needs of others before our own. Just as Christ served our needs when he came to earth and set aside the interests of glory in heaven. He put all his riches of heaven aside and he came to earth and lived in poverty and experienced the worst humiliation you could ever imagine socially and just the turmoil that he went through even psychologically as we see a glimpse of in the Garden of Eden and hanging on the cross when the Father turned his back against him. Jesus put your interest ahead of his own in the ultimate service. that's what we're called to do. Epaphras worked hard for his church family. How are you working for your church family? How are you serving in the body of Christ? Notice how they open up their homes to each other and showed Christian hospitality. I don't think I think this is great. Look at verse 15. Paul says, "Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house." Right? And get this. <clears throat> Notice how their mindset wasn't even isolated to their own church, right? So Nipah, she was, she was allowing people to come into her house, showing Christian hospitality, hospitality, having others in the church over at her house so they could worship, so that they could study God's Word, so they could grow in their faith and have solid friendships in this world. Yet they were also not even only concerned about their own church. They were praying for other churches. They had a desire for other gospel-centered churches to flourish. Look at verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, right? This is a kingdom mindset. You know, just last week we had Bob Bumgarner come and preach. He's the lead missional strategist for our local association of churches known as First Coast Churches. That's the association of other sister churches in Jacksonville that we partner with and say, you know what? We want to be on mission for God together. And so we love our sister churches here in Jacksonville. We don't want just Kernan to thrive or flourish. We want all the gospel-centered churches in Jacksonville to flourish. Why wouldn't we? We want every single person and every kind of person in every part of Jacksonville to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this one church can't do it all. So it's amazing the the others-focused mindset, the service oriented kingdom mindset that these early Christians in Colossae had. They were not concerned about themselves. They loved other people in the church family, and they loved other church families. It's amazing. Notice there was accountability. There was accountability and clear expectations in the service to one another. Look at verse 17. This is a little interesting, because at first it kind of looks like, well, man, Paul's really calling out Archippus here, right? And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. (laughs) See, Paul, for whatever reason, felt the need to say to Archippus, like, hey, we have a mission together. Let's see it through. Let's fight to the end. Let's finish well. Paul wasn't afraid to say, don't forget your job that you have to do in the church, but let's do it with excellence for the glory of God. And finally, lastly, verse 18, Paul closes out the letter. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So normally he would dictate his letter and a scribe or someone would write for him. But no, he takes the pen. He takes the pen in his own hand and dips it in the ink. And he writes, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I think he did this to signify the personal touch that he wanted this letter to have with his church, with his church family, to signify that we should bear one another's burdens. He says, remember my chains. Bear one another's burdens. Have you made the kind of friendships in this church, in this body of Christ, with these people, have you made the kind of friendships in this body of Christ that it's going to take for us to truly remember each other's burdens, for us to truly bear with one another in the good times and the bad, both. When we rejoice, we rejoice together. When we mourn, we mourn together. And in the everyday, ordinary moments of your weekly, daily routines, you know, you know that somebody's got your back That's the kind of love. That's the kind of Christ centered love that the church in Colossae demonstrated and that we can demonstrate here in the year 2023. Do you see it? Your spiritual growth is going to happen best in community with other Christians. That's how God designed it to work. It really, really is. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Our vision statement here at Kernan says, Kernan exists to glorify God by making disciples who worship with authenticity walk in community and witness as we go. You see, we truly are a family here a family who can truly love each other because of God's great love for us. Jesus Christ is our truest friend. He is our truest brother because he showed us what ultimate love for one another looks like. It really is all about him. In Galatians chapter four, verses four and five, I wanna close by looking at just the... the, the marvelous wonder of Jesus Christ and who He is, because it is because of His brotherly, affectionate, service-oriented love that we can call each other family. Look at Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So in other words... God the Father sent His Son to us who were under the law. In other words, we could not do something good enough to work or earn our way to God. We were trapped in our own selves, trying to prove ourselves constantly. But God sent Jesus to you, to this earth, to rescue you from you. That's really it, isn't it? God sent Jesus to earth to rescue you from you. From all the ways that you think that you can impress God, all the ways that you think that you can earn your salvation somehow by being just good enough or giving enough money or giving your time or whatever. No, God says no one can be good enough because God is perfect and none of us can be perfect. So we need someone to rescue us. We need someone to stand in our place. We need someone perfect. We need someone perfect to say, you know what? I'm going to substitute myself for all of Andrew's sins because his sins are going to drag him down and away from God forever. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you, for me. He came to earth and substituted himself and died in your place. He paid the penalty for your sin. So that guess what? When he raises from the grave, God the Father says, hey, sin has been dealt with, so now I can adopt you into my family. That's exactly what God does when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, just as Chris did a couple of weeks ago. God adopted him into his family, and that's what he has done to you, Christ follower. John chapter 15, Jesus himself said it this way, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends Listen to these words, verse 14. If you need encouragement today, Jesus says, You are my friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. The church, we are servants to one another, yet we are family. We are friends of God. We are sons and daughters of God. wherever you find yourself in your spiritual journey. Perhaps you are new to the faith. Perhaps you've been following Jesus for years. Perhaps your heart is filled with doubt. Or maybe you just have a lot of real, genuine questions. Maybe you don't have many real friends. Or maybe you've been estranged from your family. Whoever you are in here today, wherever you are in your season or experience of life, I want you to listen to me closely as we finish today. I want you to know that you have a real friend in Jesus. Like, seriously and really. I'm not just saying that as some kind of cute catchphrase. No, seriously, you have a friend who is closer than a brother. You have a real person who seriously, genuinely loves you and he's with you in all of your darkest moments. Christ is with you always. He wants what is best for you. Even if we don't understand what's best for us sometimes, his interests are your best interests. He's also given you the church. He's given us each other to reflect his love to one another. Is Christ enough? Yes. He gives us each other because he's given us himself. Christ is everything to us. He is always more than enough.